You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast as we record on Monday, October 4th. Virginia Tech coming off a bye week, so on episode 196, we're going to look at where the ACC stands in the football standings through about half of the season, see where the Atlantic and the Coastal stand and who's in contention to get to the ACC championship in December. We're also going to look at a huge commitment for Virginia Tech basketball. Rodney Rice, a top 100 player in the country, commits to Virginia Tech yesterday. We'll also check on the state of the men's and women's soccer program as they have been great early on in the season. All of that and more coming up on episode 196 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you into episode 196 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether you're listening archived on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or if you're watching archived on the YouTube, we ask you to like, comment, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel. If you are watching live on YouTube, be sure to drop a comment or question in the chat below for Will and Chris, and we will get to those later on in the show. We welcome you in to episode 196 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, as always brought to you by the Southeast. Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg and one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We got the usual crew on set on this Monday morning. Will Stewart, our founder and general manager across the way. Chris Coleman, the lead analyst and columnist at techsideline.com to my left. Behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. And in the fourth chair today, it is Nick Brown. He is going to have his usual trivia and notes segment right before our break, and I'll also get to your YouTube questions at the end of the show. And I am Jake Lyman, your host as always. Bye week, guys. So not going, not much going on this weekend. What'd you guys get up to? Uh, slept in on Saturday, and <laughs> then watched a little bit of football. I watched uh, Syracuse, Florida State, and then I watched Boston College, Clemson Saturday night. How close did you watch Syracuse and Florida State? For fairly close. Yeah. Uh, I didn't watch the whole game, but I start, I tuned in like the second quarter. Yeah. So I, and I, and I didn't flip back and forth between it and anything else. I watched that game. It was a decent game. It was a really good game. At one point, uh, there were two consecutive missed uh, PATs. Points, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of which, like the Syracuse kicker, apparently won the Lou Groza Award a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, and then he missed yep. an extra. That's like the most ace, most go ACC moment of the weekend, <laughs> I guess. Um, I felt bad for Syracuse to a certain extent. Um, there was a blatant hold on Florida State's last drive when their quarterback oh, scrambled yeah. down the left yeah, side I and saw that. That, that didn't get called. Oh, man. Q Hokey Pro on the message board. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. It was an entertaining game, but 
I, I really watched it more out of curiosity to, to see to like see what I thought of Florida State. Why are they zero and four? And I don't I don't know. I mean, when you when you I get the recruiting rankings say that they certainly have more talent than Syracuse. Um, but like when you watch them play against each other, you couldn't tell a difference between either team. Right. You could tell no difference between either team. Yeah. Um, and I but sometimes you sometimes talent. You can't tell that it's actual talent unless it's well coached. The culture is strong. Guys know what they're doing, things like that. And uh, apparently, not a lot of that has been happening at Florida State recently. Mm. Um, I, and I, I did. I, I, I was hoping, obviously, hope you never pull for Florida State over Syracuse. Um, so I was hoping Syracuse could pull up a win. But uh, you do have me at you never pull for Florida State. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Stop right there. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd pull for them against Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We we were talking on the podcast on uh, Wednesday about the Miami UVA game on Thursday and how the smart call was to pull for Virginia to win that game, which I, they ended up doing. I the the end of that game was nuts. Like <laughs> uh, Virginia was fortunate to win. If Miami had won, they would have been fortunate to win. Yeah. Um. The, the, when when let's see, Miami had Miami had the ball. So they do a little running play to the left with the quarterback to get the ball in the middle of the field for the last second field goal. When he fell down, there were 40 seconds left on the clock, right? 40 seconds left on the clock. You have plenty of time to run your kicker out on the field. and, and Set up, and keep him in just, just keep yeah. Just normal, a normal kick. Instead, you let the clock run down to three seconds and ice your own kicker. <laughs> now, do you know if UVA had any timeouts? UVA, UVA had no timeouts left. Right. So Yeah. 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 So, so I mean, the only way the the clock could stop is if is if Miami stopped it and they stopped see, it. See, I blame that on Manny not going to bed early at the ACC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, yeah, there are other things Miami football coaches have to do than think about managing games. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that, that um, was a strange game, though. I mean, the uh, the UVA touchdown that should have probably been an interception, and mm-hmm. then the receiver for UVA kind of just stood up with the ball, didn't even know he caught it. Did you read it. any of his quotes? He didn't, he didn't he realize didn't know. it was a touchdown. Yeah. He, he, he thought the ball had bounced off the ground or whatever, so it lands in his chest, and he grabs it, and he gets up, and people come running over. He saying, wasn't hey, celebrating. Yeah. He scored. Yeah. <laughs> like, I did. I, it, was, it was odd. Um, now, to be fair to Virginia, I mean, that Miami guy late in the game should have been called for a targeting. That was yeah. like the most yeah, Miami play – I mean, you've got to stop. It's third and long. You force an incomplete pass, and then you just come in and helmet, you know, lead with a crown on the helmet. That is the most Miami football play. <laughs> undisciplined. I mean, in undisciplined. Words. There was no yeah. reason for it. Yeah. And, it was the, like, the intent was there to see. I mean, it was clearly intent. Sometimes yeah. those targeting plays, I, I, I guess you technically can't tell whether it's intentional or not. But so you have to call them all the same. But that one by the Miami player, that was just clear – so that that was that's the reason for the targeting rule in general. He was trying to hurt that guy, so and, I, he's, and as the announcer pointed out, he's lucky he didn't break his own neck. Yep. So I th- I think in general, and tell me the, in, in the college football, you guys have watched if you agree with this. I think they're being a little uh, less uh, strict with the targeting this year. Yeah. I've seen things that I thought were, were going to be. Uh, verified or confirmed as targeting that have not been. Has that been your experience and watching? I think so, too. I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that. I still think they're really, really soft with uh, you know, late hits on the quarterback. Yeah. Where you barely brush a guy's – Some of that. You, you, yeah. you're, you're going up 
you're a defensive end. You're trained. You're you're coming in on the quarterback. Get your hands up because if he throws overhead over your head to bat it down. So you're still moving forward with your hands up. Yes, sometimes your forearm's going to brush his face mask. That's part of the game. And they're giving him giving him 15 yards every time for that. You saw that in an NFL game. Yesterday. There was a lot of bad ones in the NFL yeah. yesterday. So yeah. I did see one play in a college game. I can't remember which game it was because I was doing some stuff and going back and forth, but. There was a play where a I think one a quarterback was scrambling and he got to the sideline and it reminded me, me of Michael Vick in 1999, and and a, a defender had a line on him and could have knocked him out of bounds, but he held up. What game was that? I, I can't remember which one. It may have been Florida. Uh, State. I think it was. I think it was on that last drive. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it turned into like a 20 or 30 yard game because the defender laid off mm-hmm. of him thinking if I hit him, they're going to throw a flag. Right, right, because you know. we're near the sideline and it's the quarterback. So I was thinking, man, if a Tech player did that, Tech fans would be so livid. And I would have to explain, no, the rules have gotten into defenders' heads. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's exact. That's the only reason I could think of why that guy pulled up. You could just see it. Now, I did see another play. Uh, UNC had a kickoff return for a touchdown. And I don't like to compliment UNC, but this was a really smart play where um, a UNC blocker, you know, the – the returner's running down the sideline with a guy chasing him, and UNC blocker came up, and instead of blasting the guy from the side, he just kind of ran up to him and shrugged him out of bounds and then went like this, you know. And, and that was smart, you know. So it, it's possible. And some of the targeting that I've seen overturned, it actually was a hit with the shoulder. It was not the head. Yeah, and, yeah. And so it's possible well, that this one of the Middle is, Tennessee game that knocked out Burmeister. Yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, that with was the with shoulder. the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, and, and so – I think I think the rules changes and the enforcement of it are starting to get into the defenders' heads. And, yeah. you know, I can't explain the hands being up rushing the quarterback. That's still happening. What I'm afraid is going to happen in an NFL one game, NFL game one day, is it's going to be like a really, really big game. And it's going to be like in the fourth quarter. And the ref's going to call one of those things on some defensive end. And the defensive end is actually going to hit the ref. Was gonna hit her. No, I'm I'm serious. It's, it's like, possible. Like like, like like football players are angry on the field. They have to be to be good. And when emotions are high, you're in the NFC Championship game or something like that. And there's three minutes left, and one of those calls gets made, and it gives Tom Brady a first down. Yeah. And they, you know, I'm well. The, that I mean, it's gonna happen one day. The like, one yesterday, and I, I'm sure we have a lot of Washington football team fans uh, listening to the podcast. Where Chase Young kind of brushed Matt Ryan's helmet yeah. as he went as he as ran he by, by. Yeah. and it was fourth down, would have ended the game, yeah. and instead it, it, that, Atlanta got a first down. That's ridiculous. Like you go out there for for sixty minutes, and and play the most you know physical, brutal sport that, that you can possibly play, and then you lose the game because of that, where you accidentally barely brush a guy as you're running by him. It's it's just it doesn't make any sense. Like that rule within the context of the sport doesn't make any sense at all and looking at the targeting rules just quickly i think justin fuente actually has had a really good point on this they need to institute like a flagrant one flagrant two kind of thing because i don't know if every one of those hits deserves an ejection i Mm -hmm. think uh i think that's fair i think 15 yard penalty on all of them but maybe you can step it up you can punch someone in the face twice right and then you're ejected right but if you accidentally hit someone in the head then or if you punch somebody (laughs) in the face Pre-game. An hour and thirty-one minutes. You mean twice on two separate occasions, right? It would yeah. take honestly, if it were me, it would take me a lot to eject someone. Like I would have ejected the Miami guy against UVA. Mm-hmm. I thought that was clear intention yeah. to injure. But most of them, I wouldn't. I mean, yes, you you lead with the helmet and everything, but I mean, if you got your head down and 
if that offensive player makes a move at the last second and you had gone in for the tackle and then he moves in your direction and then it becomes helmet to helmet like I, how can you re, how can you eject somebody yeah, right. for that yeah and and i i got to figure that a large number of refs it would be interesting to see the percentage played football they've played the game you know it's not like you're bringing in 5 foot 3 bespectacled guys out to be jerks you know these guys they get it and especially at the NFL and college level, they've been around the game a long time. They know how it works. So, I don't know. I guess they're being being told I, how I, to officiate. Well, I imagine most of them uh, don't like calling it. Yeah. Right. I, right. I believe I saw yesterday at some point one of the refs in an NFL game called one of those roughing the passer calls and then went over to the sideline and talked to the defensive end and was like, it's the rule. I don't like it, but I you have to call, call it. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. You got to enforce the rules. All right. Well, so you didn't ask me what I did this weekend. What, <laughs> so Friday, Friday night, I put a new stereo in the cop car. Have we talked about the fact that I bought an old cop car? I know we have off. I, I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> yes, I bought a 2006 Crown Vic cop car, and I've gradually been, you know, it's my project car, so I've gradually been doing <laughs> stuff to it. And cop cars come with AM, FM radios with four presets, like <laughs> – you know, when you pull that thing out of the dash, it's this thick. There's nothing to it. So I put a modern stereo in it. Very cool. Uh, that was Friday night. And then Saturday, I painted my basement stairwell. But I had I had games on, so I was sort of listening. But I wasn't really watching most of the time. So if I say something a little off the wall, it's just because I heard stuff and didn't see stuff. Um, I had Cincinnati and uh, Notre Dame on. Yeah. The tendency is going to be to talk about Notre Dame a lot today, but that's... We want to save most of that for Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I switched back and forth a little bit. The, the noon games were awful. They were all blowouts, you know, except for... I can, well, Cincinnati and Notre Dame started at 2.30, so that at least was a competitive game. But but when you're painting the stairwell and it's 35 nothing midway through the second quarter, it's just, just nothing to do but paint. Yeah, not a ton of good games on Saturday, even though some of them were billed to be. I mean, right. two versus eight, one versus 12. But Alabama and Georgia, we were talking about this earlier, that they just seem that much better than everybody I else. I mean, when we get to the playoffs and the number one and number two seed just hammer the number three and four seeds by 40 or 30 or whatever it's going to be. I mean, people talk about, like, you know, a certain level of college football is separated from everybody else. Well, now this year, it honestly looks like a, a certain level has separated from that level. Yeah. Like Georgia and Alabama just look so much better than yeah. everybody else to me. Yeah. Like they would just literally flatten anybody that like out Georgia's defense might be the best defense I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, you look at the rankings right now, it's Alabama, Georgia at the top, and then Iowa, Penn State, Cincinnati. It doesn't feel like those three teams are even in the same atmosphere. As- I could not imagine either one of those te- either one of those three teams who, you know, are all good, well-coached teams. I-, I couldn't imagine them being within 25 or 30 points of I- Alabama I don't know. and I Georgia mean, at the end of the game. I know it's a different year, and last year was COVID, yada, 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 but Cincinnati played Georgia tough in the they bowl did. game last year. Of course – it's a bowl game. It wasn't a playoff game. So you got to wonder what Georgia's level of motivation was. But I, I remember watching that game, and that was a hard-fought game. And I was really impressed with Cincinnati. They had a chance to win that game, too. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Well, I doubt Georgia cared. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, well, you get to a point if you're, if you're Georgia and Alabama. I mean, the only games you care about are the regular season games that get you to the playoffs and the playoffs. Yeah. Anything below a playoff game is a failure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's no point in playing. And and they'll care about the SEC championship game, but that that is the way things are written right now. It's not a gateway to the playoffs. Well, it's, it, you're it right. Seem, it's not. It seems like if Alabama and Georgia continue winning, 
whether you win or lose that game, it's, you're going to be in. It's, it's the most meaningless SEC championship game ever. You're going to be yeah. in the playoffs either way. They're going to play each other, it's, it's and just, then they're both who, going to the it's, playoffs. It's just who's going to be number one and who's going to be number two. That's yeah. all it's going to decide. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to depend. It'll decide who your first round playoff matchup is yeah. against, and which, which quite be. frankly, won't matter. <laughs> so. Well, what if Georgia wins the SEC championship game and then Alabama went beats them in the national championship game? Who's the national champion then? <laughs> well, you know how it works. You it's know a how it's who, uh, whoever yeah. wins second. You know. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I, Ohio State's going to be there more years than not. I yes. know they're not this year, and I'm sure they'll be better by the end of the season. I mean, they might win out. And if your only loss is to Oregon, maybe that sneaks you in if you're right. the Big Ten champion. Right. right. I would actually feel better about. Some about the playoffs being halfway competitive if there was Ohio State in yeah. there, um, but still this year even even I don't think they would do much against mm-hmm. Alabama or Georgia. So totally random, different subject change, but I do want to do some housekeeping and and give somebody a shout out yep. who's helped us with our video setup. Uh, Malcolm, I vegged out. What was his name that helped with the video setup? Corey Rutledge. Corey Rutledge. Um, so Corey is uh, he, he lives in Richmond and he's in audio video production it's what he does so when i told the story about we've got a new switcher and we can't figure it out Corey hit me up with an email and uh it's funny i can remember where he where he lives and, and what he works and, and all that stuff but anyway uh he emailed and and he's familiar with the switcher that we bought and yeah he got right to the heart of the matter so uh we actually have four cameras set up and we'll continue evolving that stuff so sorry to totally change the topic but i did want to give Corey a shout out well on wednesday we got the new mics in now the switcher's in so we're, we're starting to get fully are, high tech here in the high tech we studios. are evolving yes well it is notre dame week for virginia tech football and notre dame coming off a loss to cincinnati and we will talk football later on in the show we're going to dive into the acc look at the atlantic the coastal kind of see where those divisions are shaking out and who is in contention but first we got to go with the big news of the weekend yesterday rodney rice committed to Virginia Tech basketball, going to DeMatha Catholic. That's where Mike Jones used to be the head coach. 52nd-ranked player in the nation by 247, third-ranked player in Maryland. This is a huge pickup for the Hokies. Yeah, one of Tech's highest-ranked recruits ever. You know, not quite as high as Nikhil Alexander-Walker or Dorian Finney-Smith, but, but you know, he, he's up there. And, um, and back in the day, probably not as high as Dell Curry. Dell was well, a Dell was a McDonald's All-American. Way back yes. then, yeah. 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 So Dell would have been – you know, top twenty or so in the country yep. by today's right. by modern. So he also would not have gone to Fort Defiance High School. <laughs> he, he would have had be, a he different. Be, he, would, yes. he, he would be. He would have played at a basketball factory if he was a recruit right now, and literally everybody in the whole country would would offer. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> kind of sad, but true. It's, yep, that's yeah. No more. Sorry, Fort Defiance. So anyway, in, in the anyway. in the in the two four seven rankings era, yes, he's a third highest cap yes. between yeah. Dorian Finney Smith. Yes, I couldn't. I couldn't. So I saw that GC Hokey 34 said that, third highest, highest rated recruit ever. He didn't list the other two, and I thought, well, Nikhil's one of them. Who's the other? Kind of forgot about Dorian Finney-Smith. Both currently NBA players yeah. and pretty solid, at least rotational NBA right. players as well. And, and Rice Rice has NBA potential. Um, he can play the one or the two. Um, and the thing is, like you – his primary position long term at Tech might be point guard, but but you can play him and Pedula together, like yeah. because you can play Rice at the two. Yeah, GC Hokey kind of gave us the rundown on the subscriber board yesterday, and and he said that uh, Rice is absolutely a one, a point guard, and that was my first thought was, well, what happens to Sean Padula? Um, but I'll let Mike Young sort that out. You you take the best players you can get, and. 
GC also says you'll see Rice listed at six four and six five. He says he's 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 got him in the six three range. Um, so it, it, I gather from reading the comments that uh, he's not a particularly lengthy ball player, defender, long arms, or anything like that. But he's very physical, and you can't knock him off his line when he when he goes to the to the rack. You're not gonna knock him off off his drive, you know and this is a random comment from from way back in the day, but uh, Marquis Cook was like that. He was very physical going to the basket. That's all he was. That was all he could. He couldn't <laughs> use both hands, and he couldn't shoot, and that's why he lasted about. But know, he was the Michael Vick of Virginia Tech basketball. Oh gosh, you know? yeah. So uh, anyway, that's yeah, a, this is before Marquis Cook was the highest ranked <laughs> basketball player in the state in two thousand four ish thereabouts, wow. and he was a freshman when like Jamon Gordon and Xavier Dowdell were sophomores, and it was a Heavy recruitment, a lot, lot of major schools recruiting him. He was like a top 50 type type guy. And Seth Greenberg sold him on that he could be the Michael Vick of Virginia Tech basketball. And he came in and he he was big and strong, just like he was hyped to be. But every, he stunk at everything else. Uh, <laughs> just could not shoot a lick, lick, couldn't finish with his left hand. I mean, just I think he ended his basketball playing for like, Elizabeth City State or something like well, that. Well, I remember he transferred to Colorado State. And, and then somewhere else. And again, had a cup of coffee he had, at Colorado State. He had two or three different schools that he played for. Yeah. Uh, just a not a good basketball until, player. Until he found his level. He moved until he found his I'm level. I'm not even sure he was good there. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, think he, no, no. I, I think a couple of times he moved, and it wasn't necessarily his decision to move. Right. And, it's, it's not his fault he was overrated. You right. Know? I mean, people can't yeah. help how they're ranked, yeah. what other people rank them. Yeah, exactly. You're, you have no control over that. But anyway, we hope that's not the case with Rodney Wright. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, well, Rodney Wright, he goes to DeMatha Catholic, which mm, is Mike. a known basketball factory. And, again, Mike Jones was the head coach there. Now he's one of Virginia Tech's assistant coaches. He replaced Chester Frazier this offseason. And that seemed to be kind of the first thought everybody had when Mike Jones took this job was not only are you going to get the DeMatha guys who he had been coaching, but maybe you get that entire DMV, which has been a pretty – Solid pool of talent over the last couple of years. I remember when I first wrote an article after Mike Jones got hired, I went over a list of recruits from DeMatha, who, we, yeah. who he would know and have solid, solid connections with. And, and you know, Rice was one of the guys I mentioned in that article. Um, and you had to figure Tech was going to end up getting at least one of those guys in, in this class. And, uh, yeah, Rice will be the, the crown jewel, I guess, of, of, of this recruiting class from a rankings perspective. GC Hokey says he is primarily a point guard, but also someone with enough per- positional versatility, length, and defensive potential to play one through three, depending on matchups. I don't currently see a lineup where you'd have, have him guard threes, but he can absolutely be a wing. Uh, so his primary, primary position would be point guard, secondary, the two guard, and an emergency small ball three. Right. Okay. And that seems to be what Virginia Tech needs. When we kind of looked at the team last Wednesday, it seemed like there was a little bit of an issue with depth, especially on the outside, especially at wings. So maybe a guy who can be kind of the tandem with Padula up top, but also be able to go out there and uh, take take over for Couture and Aline. Sure, depending on the the matchup and everything like that. Um, He's certainly a guy. I mean, he'll probably – it's interesting because I like I I'm really really high on Sean Padula, yeah, and st- he's considered Storm Murphy 2.0. Yeah, and Storm Murphy was told me that he said they were just extremely similar players, 
So Padula is going to get plenty of time, I think, as the backup point guard this year. I don't know exactly how many minutes per game, per game or anything like that, but he's set to take over the starting point guard role as a sophomore next year. And then Rodney Rice will be a freshman that year. So those guys are really close. And that's why I, you want to get your five best players on the court. And I think Mike Young's system is versatile enough to do that, at least at the one and the two. Right. Because it doesn't require a true point guard, so to speak. The point guard often brings the ball up and then gets But But rid someone of else initiates the, the yeah. offense, right. Um, so I, you can play those two guys together with Rodney Rice at the two. And that's, that's not an issue at all. Yeah. Well, this class is already looking pretty strong. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Patrick Wessler, a big center who signed with, or excuse me, who committed to Virginia Tech. MJ Collins already in the class. It, it seems like this could be the best class that Mike Young has brought in yet. Yeah, uh, got to add a uh, power forward to it, I think. And Noah Clowney's really high on the board right now. Uh, I hope Alabama doesn't want him because Alabama, whatever Alabama decides to do these days, they do it. Yeah. All right, so you remember earlier in – Not the, just football. Not just football. All right, so you remember early in Nick Saban's tenure um, when the, Alabama had a great defense, awesome offensive line, the first running back taken in the draft every year. Yeah. But their quarterbacks were always game managers, right? And then all of a sudden Nick Saban decided, oh, you know what? I think I want my quarterbacks to also be the first quarterbacks taken in the draft. <laughs> so, you know, he's a, he, he, he upgraded his quarterback recruiting. Because he just chose to. Yep. Right? And then Alabama, they've got so much money, they decided they wanted to have a top-notch basketball program. And now they have a top-notch basketball program. They just picked up a commitment from the number one point guard in the country the other day. So they just decided they wanted to be awesome at basketball, and now they're going to be awesome at basketball. It's true. It seems like that program has just exponentially improved in the last five years. So much money. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, so – and. You know, I don't. I don't want to be that doom and gloom guy, but but you can see the uh, the SEC basketball conference closing on the ACC because they've got the money for the coaches. They've hired a lot of good coaches in that conference, and you, you just know. sometimes I worry that like twenty years from now, major college mm-hmm. athletics is going to be a two conference thing. Yeah, and like twenty years from now, we'll see if it truly does become all about the look. I know everybody's wants Jim Phillips to find ways to increase ACC revenue. He's not a magician. Like he can't help that there's so many teams in this league that are just just have small alumni bases. They're small private schools. My God, Wake and Pitt in the ACC title game that might happen. Yeah, and yeah. like three thousand kids go to Wake. You know, Pitt. I have a lot of respect for what Narduzzi's done there. He's done a good job. I think Kenny Pickett's a great player. I think it's a good football team. And but, and... but, but their fans don't go to games. They're, they're, there's no atmosphere in that stadium. It like, like the worst case scenario for the SEC would be like, like even if like Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Florida fell off. Let's say your SC, let's say Mississippi State magically won the SEC West, and let's say South Carolina magically won the SEC East. Well, those are still two big state schools that will fill up the Georgia Dome for their championship game. Right. And Wake Forest and Pitt will not. Right. Well, there's, and, there, there's no depth in the ACC as far as big state schools go. Yeah. And with Mississippi State and USC, for example, they might even fill it up more and travel more because, let's say, Alabama and Georgia go <laughs> – they're going to be like, well, I want to save my money to go to the college football playoff games right. because they already know they're going. Right. right. 
Well, that takes us right into where I wanted to go next. We're going to look kind of at the ACC football landscape and just see where everything stands heading into about the halfway point of the overall season, maybe the quarter point of the ACC season. And we'll start with the Atlantic. You mentioned Wake Forest at the top, and they're 5-0, and 3-0 and in conference. They got a big win over Louisville this weekend, but maybe a little bit tighter than they would have hoped it would be. Uh, and then NC State, 1-0, and the big win over Clemson, but... It does not seem to be Clemson's conference this year. I think maybe there was a hope this week that they would finally break out of that slump, but just, what, a six-point win over Boston College yeah, at home? Yeah, they, they were pretty fortunate that uh, Dennis Grossell can't complete any passes down the field. Mm, I, don't, I don't – No, I mean, like – I mean, there were multiple times Zay Flowers was behind Clemson. Well, that's true. Backs, and he just, he just couldn't, yeah. couldn't hit him in stride. He overthrew him. Uh, I, Grossell is – He's good enough to throw for 520 yards on UVA, but who isn't, right? I mean, their defense yeah. is pretty terrible. Um, but that was a, the, uh, it was interesting watching that game. Like uh, Boston College didn't have the quarterback that can complete passes further than 20 yards down the field, if, if maybe even only, even only 15. Whereas Clemson, uh, man, their wide receivers struggled to make plays down the field. Now the Clemson quarterback, he. He'll like overthrow like shorter throws, like he, his bad throws come on short yeah. throws down the field. He's money. He puts <laughs> it right on target, and it just goes right through their hands. Um, Tim Hasselbeck was calling the game for the ACC Network, and I thought he made a really astute comment. He talked about when you throw the da- throw the ball downfield in one on one coverage, it's called a fifty fifty ball. Um, in the past, for Clemson, that's been more like eighty twenty. Right. Like Trevor Lawrence would throw that ball downfield to Justin Ross or whoever. Yep. And it would, he would just simply go up and beat beat the defender in the air for the football. And you, you saw them do that back shoulder throw on, like, the three-yard line that was perfectly thrown, and the receiver just dropped it. And there was another one down the left sideline where it was pretty good coverage, but the ball just went right through the receiver's hands. Well, and, and I think a guy they have not had come through for him in the limited time I've watched Clemson is Justin Ross. Yeah. Um, well, he, it, you know, did you see what happened to him the other night? Well, let, let's, first let's talk about the end of the NC State game. Um, he had two opportunities at the end of that game. I think they were back-to-back Clemson's last two plays. The first one was a contested ball in the end zone that, if I remember correctly, he got his hands on and didn't come down with it. And then the fourth down play where they threw a, a bit of a fade to him I question his effort. I really do. He did. I don't know if he was being held or something, but he just didn't look like he went all out. It, he which doesn't like make he, any sense. He, he didn't. I, he didn't look like he ran his route all the way through. Yeah. yeah. To me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So well, so in addition to just not catching the football, I just something you know that that team is definitely less than the sum of their parts right now. Well, I just remember back to Justin Ross when he was playing. It might have been in the national championship game as a true freshman. I watched him, and the first thing I said was, "That dude is going to be a top five pick in the NFL one day." You okay. could just see the natural talent, but it doesn't seem like he's developed all that much. And must it, have been two back surgeries. Yeah, yeah, well, he he did have the serious injury last year. I he mean, missed all of last season, and you never know, like with a back injury, just when it's just going to start hurting. Probably. Yeah, and, and they and they keep those things quiet. They don't talk about it. I mean, they, they took him out of the game in the middle of the game the other day. Yeah. So, so you know, so, it can flare up at any point. Yeah, I'm I'm friends with Phil Williams, who played basketball for Tech in the '80s, and you know, uh, so we go way back, like that we met when we were five or six years old, and and Phil was a dominant high school basketball player, and so, if I remember. The details somewhere along the line, he aggravated his back in high school, 
So at Tech, I remember him telling me, you know, you just, like you just said, you just never knew what your back was going to be like, mm-hmm. you know. And he, so what happened to Ross the other night? I don't know. They just took him out of the game, and they didn't say why, but it probably has something to do with the back. Yeah, okay. All right. So that um, – They said hit to the head. They hmm. said hit to the head. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they'll say anything. Yeah. <laughs> they probably yeah. don't want to make it seem like it's a serious, like maybe well, a – re-injury well you know back. michael brewer always had a back injury attack and they never said anything about it yeah like like i always heard like at halftime of the pit game in 2014 they had they had to give him a pain shot in his back at halftime yeah uh because his back was killing him so much in the first half and then lo and behold he came out and threw for 150 200 yards in the second half yeah. after he was pain free um but yeah you never know what kind of pain these guys are in and those back injuries can be particularly nasty well clemson's offense we, we've talked about how it obviously hasn't been up to par this year. But just look at their three conference games. 54 points for in three conference games. So yeah. that's 18 points per game. And seven of those came in overtime against NC State. Mm-hmm. For comparison, Wake Forest has 109 points in three conference games. So yeah. it's it's bad for Clemson's offense right now. Yeah. And, you know, the, you, you – Dabo had been saying they were close, and you know I had watched some of the NC State game, but I was I was out talking to friends and half watching it, half talking to other people. But I watched the the game by myself the other night, and the the good news for Clemson is their their running game improved against Boston College, um, and that that's big for them. But the rest of their passing game is like, honestly, it's it's like it's not too dissimilar from Virginia Tech's, except with a little more talent, of course, but on one play, it's the quarterback overthrowing a receiver. On the next play, it's a receiver not coming down with a ball. On the next play, it's the offensive line missing a block and there's pressure in the backfield. You know, it's not it's not one thing you can point to and say, oh, that's the problem, and if we fix this, everything's going to magically start Sounds working. familiar. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think there's just there's multiple issues there. Now, that said, you know, I Dabo says they're close, and – they do look close. Like if those receivers would catch those balls, then everybody'd be saying, "Ah, well, they, yeah, they beat Boston College by twenty, is what they would have ended up doing, probably." Yeah, and that would have been a perfectly acceptable so, result. So it's interesting to support your point. I'm sitting here. It's one thing to talk about stats and records and things like that. So what I did, I actually printed out before we before we came in here. I printed out the PFF grades for the teams in the ACC. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a chart. I've got everybody sorted by their overall grade. Mm-hmm. And then, but you can look at all the details. And to your point about receivers, Clemson's receiving group is rated lowest in the ACC. Dead at, last. At 56.3. Yep. Um, now, their overall offense is, um, let's see. Oh, look who's, next, last. Look, look who's next to last. Florida State's next to last in receiving. In, in so, receiving. Clemson and Florida State, the two teams that recruit the best in, in the ACC, and seem to always have those have receivers the best that, athletes, that everybody right? else wanted. Yeah. Or actually have the worst receiving grades in the entire ACC. Well, they have, the, they have the two worst offensive grades in the ACC as well. Well, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, oh, yeah, no, 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 wrong, no, no, wrong yes. line. Yeah, 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 you're yeah. right. You're so, right. State um, is the worst. Now, in, in the oh and, oh, and Miami's third from the bottom. In, uh, Cle- in terms Cle- of Clemson, Florida State, and Miami are your the, bottom three teams in receiving in the well, ACC and as overall. As they are the three lowest graded overall teams in the ACC. Now when we talk about recruiting better. Like I want to recruit better. I do. But like you absolutely have to have the culture to go along with it, man. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would venture that culture is much harder oh. these days than it used to be. Yes. Yes. Uh 
I mean, you think about it, man. Uh, watching that Boston College game the other night, and they were without their starting quarterback, Djokovic, who's a really good player, and they certainly win that game with him. Yeah. Well, guess what? He's a Notre Dame transfer, and Notre Dame doesn't have a, a quarterback. They played three quarterbacks against Cincinnati. Two of them threw three interceptions, and the other one was like 9 of 22. Like, they don't have a quarterback in South Bend. Their quarterback J- J- is in, in, is, in, is in Chestnut Hill, Hill because he couldn't be patient enough to start for, to wait one more year to start. It's tough, uh, Do man. you know how hard it is to, to these days to, to – Build that culture where guys want to stay in your program, especially quarterbacks. Man. And especially with NIL now, guys aren't just going to sit on the bench when right. they could go somewhere else and be the guy and maybe get those endorsement deals. So so let's take our own Jake Lyman here, right? So, so Jake <laughs> came in. He's talented. He's a great recruit, but he's got to sit behind Evan Hughes. Yeah, we redshirted him. And he, never, <laughs> you know, he never hit the transfer portal. We redshirted, put him on the <laughs> scout team, which is – Tech, Tech Talk Live Notes, yeah. Jack, <laughs> Jack Rizendo. And, and, he, and he put in the work on the scout team for, yeah. what, two or three years? Yeah. yeah, three years. Including the Buzz Williams regime when it was blah, 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 I blah, almost blah, entered blah. the transfer portal a few times. <laughs> but here he is. He's in the big chair, you know, and, and, and we're a better organization because of it. Yeah, I know. And it's, you know, I guess you'd have to ask Djokovic, like, one day, maybe 20 years down the line when he has, when he has some perspective. Uh, Boston College is a solid football team. They they got a really good defense and a good, and a good running game. By the way, the number one overall graded team in the ACC per PFF is Boston College. Right. Yep. Um, but the only di- the only difference between the only thing between Notre Dame and a playoff bid this year is Phil Djokovic. Dr- well, offensive line. Uh, even with that, I still think they would. I mean, I I think they would run. They would certainly have the potential to run the table if they had him. There is a, such a big difference between their quarterbacks and him. Uh, like, yeah. Is he worth two more touchdowns against Cincinnati? I'm just sitting here thinking, no. I mean, it was 24-13. I would have to go back. They they fumbled a kickoff that right. Cincinnati had no problem scoring. But I think they also had a bad interception that Cincinnati right. yeah. And so if yeah. Dracovic doesn't make that mistake. Right. Right. And, and I, so, I, no, put on the brakes. Don't want to talk about Notre Dame right now. We'll get him Wednesday. Well, Going back to the Atlantic, Wake Forest is at the top. And going into probably the last seven, eight seasons, the question has been, who can beat Clemson? Now it seems to be, can Clemson find its way back to the top? It's going to come down to that November 20th game when Wake Forest plays Clemson. How about that? But if, if Wake wins that game, it looks hard to see if any anybody catching them, especially not Clemson, if they have two losses in the ACC. Yeah, you know, uh, what's going to be interesting is like if if NC State, Wake, and Clemson all end up with one loss. I mean, that's possible, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, I I think it's unfortunate for Wake that they get Clemson so late because Clemson is still a very talented football team, and they'll have the entire year to improve. And I assume they will improve. And I agree with Dabo that they're close, but they've been close for several weeks, right? So at what point do you do you make that jump? Uh, do you make it until the offseason? I don't know. Um, I think if I were Wake Forest, I would rather play them when Wake plays NC State, right? As opposed to waiting all the yes. way at the end of the season to play in Clemson. That, that, that's my take. Yeah, so- I, I think Wake Forest – I think it could, it could possibly be that, like, Wake Forest – beats NC State, but loses to Clemson. Because Clemson will be an improved football team by November 20th when they play. Or improved offense. 
Well, looking at their schedule. You're looking at Wake's schedule? Yes, it looks like the next three games are very winnable. Syracuse on the road, you should be able to win that one. Army on the road, maybe a little bit tougher, but you should win that one. Duke at home, that seems like a win for Wake Forest. But then those last four games, all in a row, at UNC, at home against NC State, at Clemson, at Boston College. Oof, that, I don't think that's they're going to make it. That's a gauntlet 10 this yeah, year. That's, it's that's it's similar to what Virginia Tech faces at the end, where three yes. of the last four games are on the road. Um, except their home game's tougher. they got NC State and Tech has Duke. Yeah. Um, um, so everybody loves Wake Forest right now, but just... They'll split those games and go 10-2. But wow. it, it is conceivable to think if Wake Forest does go on a run, maybe loses to Clemson, beats NC State, if NC State wins the rest of their games, you could have well, three one-loss teams in the, right. in the NC State just doesn't seem like consistent enough to me. Agreed. Uh, they did not play well against Louisiana Tech this past weekend. Yeah. That game was tied at halftime, I think, wasn't it? Um, and Clemson, I mean, we can sit here and say all day that, yeah, they're talented, so they're probably going to improve at some point. And they probably will, but at the same time, we keep saying that, and they haven't really done it yet. Their running game improved against Boston College, but on the whole, they're just not clicking as an offense. And when you can't score 20 points every time you play, you could lose to anybody. And that, that NC State loss really got rid of the room for error that they had. Now it yeah. seems like if they lose one more. So, by the way, the Clemson's got to travel to Pitt on uh, October 23rd. Oof. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Pitt's going to be able to score. Yes. Pitt looked very good against Georgia Tech this past weekend. Yes. So, here's, here's uh, a little piece of knowledge. I don't know if we're ready to transition talking about the Coastal yet, but PFF rankings, Kenny Pickett is the number two ranked quarterback in the country. Yep. Um, 19 touchdowns, one interception. He's had three straight games with four touchdowns, at least four touchdowns. And a ninety-two point seven passes. Yeah, he has thrown fifteen touchdown passes in the last three games, which I believe ties the record set by whom? The school record set by whom? Dan Marino. Dan Marino, who was kind of good. Yeah, he was okay. I I remember the first time (laughs) Kenny Pickett played, or at least first time I remember him playing was in the twenty seventeen. I think I was a kid at that point. That they pulled their starter. Yep. <laughs> he was a young guy. He was. Yeah. I was in. I was in middle school at that point. <laughs> but, but I remember Pickett come. We've talked about this before. Pickett came in, in uh, into the game, and I remember looking at him, thinking, "Man, that guy's pretty good." Yeah, he was. At, he was an athletic guy who could run. Yeah. Uh, the passing game has come slowly to him, but he has steadily improved throughout yeah. the course of his career. Uh, and now, twelve years later, he's he's got no experience <laughs> really, under his belt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah. Shall we get right into it? Well, I think or we're going to jump into the coast. We're going to we're going to take a break and jump into the coastal after that. We'll also talk about uh, the men's and women's soccer team later on. First, let's throw it over to Nick Brown. He's got some news with Virginia Tech scheduling, maybe some trivia, some notes. Yeah, pit game was announced three thirty on either ESPN, ESPN two, or the ACC network. Uh, I think that's all depending on whether Tech wins, Pitt wins, both teams lose, or all that jazz. Um, so three thirty kickoff for homecoming. And who's Pitt play this week? Any idea? You don't have to look. We'll we'll look it up during the break. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, so I guess it just depends on yeah. who loses that week. Um, and then David Cunningham's giving all the press conference news stats yes. and all that. He's talking about Notre Dame. Talk about that. I wanted to talk about for the question. Notre Dame's ranked fourteenth with their loss to Cincinnati. Who Virginia Tech is three and four versus. AP number 14 teams in the country, dating back to 1973, who was the last team ranked number 14 to lose to Virginia Tech? Number 14 to lose to Virginia Tech. I will give – it's in this past Narrow decade. Narrow it down, yeah. Last decade. It was in this last decade. I'm going to randomly guess UNC. I 
I would say Miami. Uh, Miami would be my guess. It is Miami. 2013, Trey Edmonds had four touchdowns. Four touchdowns. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that, God, Tech that was a went beat off. Down. Tech went off that night offensively. Just yeah, they did. Inexplicably came out of nowhere and just like everything on offense clicked that night. And oh, it's explicable. It was against Miami. That's true. 42 yeah, Because then, then Tech came back at home and lost a se- on senior day to Maryland the next week. Oh, yeah. gosh, that game was painful. You weren't uh, there. I know, but I, I <laughs> God, so, you weren't there because I know because that was I've covered two games in my life from the press box and that was one of them. Twenty. I wonder what I was doing, but I, I do know. I do remember for some reason I took the game broadcast from that and I did that whole uh, condensed game thing where I cut out all the commercials and all the talk. I don't know why I did that for the twenty thirteen Maryland game, but so. <laughs> I got to watch that game <laughs> afterwards in excruciating detail. Yeah, so that was that's the last time. Logan Thomas had two pass touchdowns over 300 yards on that game. You remember yeah. Josh Stanford had a big broken tackle on yeah. the pass play? Yeah. Trey Edmonds had a, had, a, had a pass play where he just broke like three guys' tackles and – like that was when he was really starting to come on. Remember, he well, he went off to start the season against Alabama and had two 100-yard games like in his first three games. And then he got hurt because he was the only running back that could play because they had foolishly played J.C. Coleman against Western Carolina when they shut him on two sprained ankles. So the he, Trey had to carry the load. and What was Trey's injury? I don't up. remember. Was well, well, first, I don't remember. Ankle, I think? I don't remember what the early injury was. But uh, he was just getting back from that early injury and starting to get into a, a groove later in the season. Big game against Miami. Had a good game against Maryland, too. And then he was absolutely torching UVA the next week when he broke his leg. Right, and that was right. A, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was off to a really good start against UVA. Yeah. Hmm. We got yeah. anything else, Nick? That's that's it for that's right it. now. I, I, I want to save I'm all a, the Notre Dame Fuente comments for Wednesday when you guys really dive into Notre Dame. Yeah. So. yeah, makes sense. We'll do a full Notre Dame preview on Wednesdays. The Hokies face off with the Fighting Irish, seven thirty from Lane Stadium on Saturday. We're going to take a break here on episode one hundred ninety six of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we're going to dive into the Coastal Virginia Tech seems to be in the driver's seat along with the Pittsburgh Panthers, like we talked about. So that game coming up in less than two weeks going to be huge from Blacksburg. We'll also also look at the men's and women's soccer programs, which are both nationally ranked and looking good through the middle part of their season. Make sure you stay with us here on episode 196 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back. We welcome you back to episode 196 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. I'm Jake Lyman, your host. We got the full crew on set, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Nick Brown in our fourth chair, and Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. We are doing a deep dive right now on the ACC landscape and where everything sits as we enter October. A lot of big games coming up over the next couple of weeks. We already went through the Atlantic with Wake Forest leading the way there, and now it's time to dive into the Coastal, where right now Virginia Tech and Pitt currently tied at the top with one win apiece uh, in conference play one and oh and it seems like those two teams that game on October 16th in Lane Stadium is going to be huge uh, as right now North Carolina Virginia Georgia Tech all have two losses and then Duke and Miami 0 and 1. I think I think that Pitt can hmm this is going to sound like a strange comment but I think that Pitt can lose that game and still win the Coastal I think if Virginia Tech loses to Pitt they're in big trouble. Yes. As far as winning the Coastal. Because then you would need Pitt to lose twice, at at least. 
and you're Virginia Tech and you've got that that stretch at the end we talked about which is pretty tough so uh, so that's 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 my take on that by the way and we you don't want to drop a home game no and and we looked and uh, Pitt has a bye week uh, they, Pitt doesn't play again until they play at Virginia Tech yes yeah, right so um, Pitt to me is certainly right now like if I had to place a bet on who's going to win the coastal right now I'd bet Pitt I'd bet Pitt um, because this quarterback they have is, like you said, number two in the country in, in overall yeah. PFF rating. You got to shave mm-hmm. those gray hairs off his beard before he plays. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> he's like a regular Chris Winkie out there. Yeah, and he's just he's such a rarity. Four four or five years at the same school. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's does a, pay off. It does pay off. Uh, you know, if people are developed properly. So. Well, and he's also had the same head coach the whole time, the same program culture. Right, you know. right. Well, it's, now he's being looked at as an NFL prospect, too. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. And I was a little bit surprised he did, he, that he came back this year because I think he would have been drafted after last year, too. Hmm. Um, Pitt, I, I think right now, based on all the evidence that we have, I would say Pitt, Wake Forest, NC State, to me, are the three best teams in the ACC, and you could put those in whatever order you wanted to put them in. Um, God, I, I a conference would never admit to this, but like you got to be really thinking that the ACC brass is like, oh, please Virginia Tech beat Pitt, and oh, somebody please beat Wake Forest because we cannot have Wake Forest, Pitt, and Charlotte. Yeah, NC, NC State and Tech would be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. There's just not there's just not enough compelling. I mean, if if I'm Jim Phillips, I'm really concerned right now because I you know I read an article recently and I should have researched this before I came on the air, but where basically the the Miami president told the Miami athletic director, "You're on your own. We're not funding you anymore." So the school president, has, nobody goes to games in Miami. Yeah, they have some rich alumni, but I'm not exactly sure how much they care about donating. So money. Let, let's and, pump the brakes for a second. And for people who don't know how funding of college athletics works, what does that mean? Because uh, college athletic departments they run independently. Mm-hmm. Um, now that said, universities can put money into an athletic department. Right. Yes. And, and I wish we had Geo here because I could ask him. Well, I don't know if he would know this sort of thing, but Syracuse has done that. They've put money into their athletic department. Rutgers has done that. Man, I remember way back in the day looking at uh, when I when I first started looking at financial information for college athletic departments. Uh, one year uh, when I was researching Syracuse, they had something like five million dollars worth of revenue into their women's basketball program, mm-hmm. where everybody else is like five hundred thousand dollars. And I thought, what in the world is that? And somebody explained it to me. That's when, when the university put money in the athletic department. That's probably where they slotted it, right? You know, so. they, they, and they counted that as revenue, for right? Some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because um, all uh, these books can be cooked differently, but uh, so it's a, so when when a, when a university president at a place like Miami says that, that's probably what he's saying. We're not transferring any funds over. Well, what that tells me is, all right, Miami is a private school, so they don't report their their money that's situation. Right. Yeah. What that tells me is that they're university has just probably been propping them up propping them up for a while well their football attendance is terrible their football attendance is terrible and i bet the school president looks at it and looks at the fact that nobody goes to the games and said you know what if our fan base doesn't care about football then why should i take this university money and put it into something that the fans don't care about that is ominous 
So if you're the if you're I mean, Miami was the crown jewel of ACC expansion. They were. I mean, they they were supposed to be. That's all the ACC cared about. They could bring anybody else. Sy- Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia Tech, whoever. As long as we get Miami, yeah. that's what we want. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody looked back then looked at the ACAC and said, okay, uh, you got Virginia Tech and Miami on one side, and you've got Clemson and Florida State on the other side, and those are your top four teams. Yeah. And uh, and now. I don't. I don't want to use the the phrase "de-emphasized football," but that kind of to me, it's what. That's how I read that article. Yeah, is that you're just your the football program is not a priority to the to, priority to the university anymore. So if you need more resources for football, find it in other ways. Either increase donations, cut funding for other sports, whatever. But it's not coming from yeah. the university side of things anymore, and that's. That, for a program that, quite to be honest, hasn't been that great since ACC expansion, anyway, that that's that's pretty ominous, like you said. And I'd and I'd yeah. be concerned if I'm Jim Phillips and I'm trying to negotiate Comcast into the ACC network. And I, I don't know how much people, you know, TV execs think about stuff like that. But like, what kind of product are you selling right now? It's it's pretty scary looking. Uh, what 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 most people don't know or don't remember looking at the modern the current uh landscape of college athletics is the acc back when it expanded was distributing more money per team per school than any conference Mm -hmm. they were they were the they were distributing it if i remember the numbers correctly it was high 20 millions low 30s 30 millions you know and then the sec network got launched big 10 network got launched Uh, espn really got behind those two conferences um, some things just kind of started to take root, and now they're fourth or fifth. Yeah, and so and, and it, the gulf between first and second and everybody else is just is is enormous. Is and so when the ACC expanded and did that, it was just I remember being really excited to be in that conference. Mm-hmm. Now there were some warning signs, like when they put the championship game down in jacksonville or tampa, tampa or whatever it was yeah. you know and and i think we kind of knew that john swafford didn't really know how to run a football conference um but at the time that it expanded and went to 11 teams and then 12 in 2004 and 2005 it, the, the future was really bright and it just doesn't we're getting way off topic here but but it's well, it's kind of scary are. right now yeah it, it kind of is and obviously clemson being awesome and making the playoffs every year props everything up to yes. a certain extent. Well, it's not happening this year. Well, so by the way, folks, we forgot to say this. There are two ranked teams in the ACC right now. Yep. Wake Forest is number 19 and NC State's number 23, and that's and it, it. And it's absolutely fine for NC State to be the 23rd ranked team that's in the country. That's where they belong. I mean, that, that's a big state school. The population of the Raleigh-Durham area has basically doubled over the last 20 yeah. years. So NC State should be a strong program, in my yes. opinion. They're an in-state school, and there's a lot of talent in in that area and the demographics favor them with the increase of population over the last couple of decades they, they favor nc state big time yeah um and unc to a certain extent because they're right there too um so i have no issue at all with north carolina state being 23rd in the country but they should be the fourth highest ranked team in the acc or something like that instead of the second highest yeah yeah. Behind Wake. <laughs> no, no, I mean, right. And we were talking about the top four schools in the ACC during expansion, you know, of, of Miami, Virginia Tech on one side, 
and Clemson and Florida State on the other, and those four teams are not ranked right now. Right. They're and not ranked in the top 25. Clemson looked so bad in a loss, or excuse me, in a win, that they got dropped out of the top 25, right? Wow. Well, and we mentioned it, the PFF overall rankings, three of those four teams are the worst three PFF-graded teams in the conference, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and then right. Virginia Tech, middle of the pack at number eight. And, and you, you know, you throw Louisville in here, too. They're, they're 10th out of 14. Wow. And they should be better than they are. Um, you know, you go up and down this list, you know, Boston College is first, Pitt's second, Wake Forest fourth, Syracuse fifth. And these are PFF Duke grades. Duke seventh. Right, Overall right. team PFF grades, by the way. So, so four of the top five schools on this list – don't recruit well, right? Yeah. So it's just more, it's so much more about culture and player development than anything else, in my opinion. Well, looking back at the coastal standings right now, Duke 0 and 1, but the way that Duke has played, we've kind of talked about this. We don't think Duke will be a factor in the coastal. No. Uh, didn't they play like, I think they played like North Carolina Central. Yeah. Now, there are certain. FCS teams you can play that are underfunded FCS teams that are more like Division II teams that you can play to pad your stats. They'll, they'll, they'll pad your grading to a certain extent. Uh, Miami did that with Central Connecticut State and the fact that Miami's still dead last after playing Central Connecticut State. All right, now there's a big difference between North Carolina Central, Central Connecticut State, and Richmond. Yes. Big, big difference in talent and program funding and things like that. Um so I think Duke's stats are padded to a certain extent because of that. But I don't they know. also played Kansas. Oh, and they played Kansas. Yeah, that helps. And, and you know they beat Northwestern as well. Uh, something's off about Northwestern. Somebody, uh, well, somebody that, smoked yes. them this Nebraska. Past. Nor- yeah. Northwestern had five turnovers in that game. Yeah, so, so North, and, Northwestern. And Duke still only beat them by seven. Yes. Well, and Duke lost thirty-eight to seven to North Carolina mm-hmm. this week. So didn't look good in their first ACC game. We mentioned Miami at the beginning of the show lost on that missed field goal um, on Thursday night against Virginia. Well, it's, it's, the middle is so tight here. If you look, just look at the pure overall grades. Like Carolina's sixth with an eighty-four point eight, and Georgia Tech is tenth. Georgia Tech and Louisville are tied for 10th with an 83.1. 81.3. 81.3, sorry. Um, my dyslexia is getting But then Cle- Clemson, but, four points lower than Georgia right. Tech. I know. But, but, you know, it's like six teams in here within three points of each other. Yes. So there's still a lot of a lot of football. So, so hopefully played. you're able to follow because we're kind of going back and forth between where they are in the standings <laughs> and where they are in we the We read PFF too much grades. on here that people can't see. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really need to turn this into like – flat out tv show and start putting graphics <laughs> have graphics yeah, up yeah, I know. yeah we're working towards it well in the middle of the coastal standings north carolina virginia georgia tech all have two losses that's going to be really tough for any of those teams so to north dig carolina, out of that virginia hole. and georgia tech all, all have two losses all that, have two losses that's a big deal. It, it is and north carolina has already played four conference games so they're kind of running out of time and to they still got to play back. Pitt. they still got to play wake forest right uh, got, well, the Wake Forest game no longer a conference game. We talked duh, about that. Duh, it, duh. So yeah, uh, all right. So they still got to play Pitt, and they still got to play NC State. Yes. So, so so their their chances are really slim. 
Yes, yes. with and, two and losses. I don't, and I don't think Georgia Tech can maintain any level of excellence. That well, they're one, they're really, one and two. Yeah, yeah. Georgia, and Georgia yeah. Tech had one, the one big win against North Carolina, but did not look good against Pitt this weekend. Right. Gave up 52 points, right. 42 I, in the first half. You know, Virginia kept their heads above water, but, you but, know, they still, they've lost two. They're, they're a chip shot field goal being missed from three. being 0-3 yeah, right, in the right. conference. They're, it's just the likelihood of them winning out. Based they on they appear to be so a quarterback, far. and that's about it. Because uh, we're, we're, talking to, we're, we're talking about PFF yeah. ratings, and Kenny Pickett's number two in the country. Well, Brendan Armstrong is currently the number, number four-graded four quarterback right. in the entire country. Um, so they have a quarterback. I like a couple of their individual players on defense, yeah. but overall their defense isn't good. Um, just don't think they have much team speed, as, as usual the case right. at, at UVA. But, you know, I mean, and Miami is Miami's 0-1, and you honestly expect Miami to win seven straight games. Nope. No. 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 So I mean, the, this is coming. It's, so it's Pitt and Virginia Tech. It's Pitt and Virginia Tech, I, Tech is looks, kind of really the point what it I'm looks trying like to me. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that game on October 16th. 16th, yeah. That, you know, that, that might decide it. It, when it comes down to the end, that, that could be the deciding factor. It would certainly put Virginia Tech in a very good position with tiebreakers over both UNC, UNC and Pitt. And, yeah. Well, and I, I think there's a lot of excitement towards this Notre Dame game. A win against Notre Dame at home in prime time. Everybody's excited for the possibility of that. But I think people need to realize that you should probably rather uh, uh, trade a I'm, win against Pitt than a win against Notre Dame. Yes. But yes, from a conference rank standpoint, from a perception standpoint. Exactly. Um, now the problem is, is if, if it'll look bad if Virginia Tech beats Notre Dame and, and loses, loses to Pitt just because of the names of the schools. Right. But like Pitt is better than Notre Dame in my opinion. Yeah. Like, like I, I and honestly, oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I I'm pro- I haven't 100% decided, but right now I'm probably picking Tech to beat Notre Dame. And then I'll probably pick them to lose to Pitt. Not because I think, oh, that's just Virginia Tech. They're going to play down to their competition. No, it's because I think Pitt is better than Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, Pitt <laughs> this season has put up 262 points in five games. That can't be right. <laughs> is, that, is that right? I mean, that's what it's that's what's printed on. No, no. They, 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 they put up like 70 or something against yeah, New yeah. Hampshire. So, so 262 yeah. points. The next closest team overall. And this is, again, this is including non-conference games. 192, and that's Wake. So 70 points up. This is a team with a really good offense that really good the offense. Hokies are going to have trouble keeping up with. Notre Dame, not so much. You look at a lot of their games. I mean, they scored, I want to say, 13 points against Cincinnati this week. Mm-hmm. And then the week before, they were down 13-10 to Wisconsin before getting a kick before return Wisconsin touchdown. kind of gave everything away. A kick away return to touchdown and two pick sixes. They, they, yeah. I think they out, got out gained like – 131 to 50 in the fourth quarter, but, but scored 31 points in the fourth quarter yeah. off of turnovers. Um, yeah. yeah, and their their offense struggled early in the season. I mean, they've, they've just – every game has been a grind for them. They've had to struggle with everything, and that's the same to, with Virginia Tech to a certain extent. The thing about Virginia Tech is, like, <laughs> one week – you put up, you score twenty one on the road against West Virginia, which, as it turns out, is a pretty darn good defense that can shut Oklahoma down uh, away from Morgantown, you know. And then, so Virginia Tech can actually do a decent job against a top defense like West Virginia, with the exception of the red zone, of course. And then the next week, they can't score against an FCS team, right? Um, so I'm actually that actually, in a way, makes me feel better because they've yeah. actually played better. Against best against the best competition they face this year than they have against the lowest competition. Yeah, face. so let's get into that a little bit. Uh, I'm looking at West Virginia. They gave up 30 to Maryland, 
Um, they gave up 21 to Virginia Tech, 16 to Oklahoma, and 23 to Texas Tech. Right. So yeah, that, the, that the Maryland cool. game is an anomaly. Breaking in a new coach on the defensive side so, of the ball. So I, I, I want to get back to the whole perception thing, Notre Dame versus Pittsburgh. Um, one of the things that struck me was it, it's generally uh, accepted as truth that that was Cincinnati's biggest win ever. Um, I don't know my Cincinnati football history. Um, At Lane Stadium, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll end up being... That's an impressive win in retrospect. Well, it's uh, a much better team than the one they beat on Saturday, in my yeah. opinion. So, yeah, so that people are saying that about Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame. And the only reason they're saying that is because it was a road win over the number nine team, which isn't the number, isn't nine, the team. number nine team. And they're also not number 14 either. <laughs> and the fact that it, it it's a critical moment in Cincinnati's history. So they go from being number eight or nine or whatever they were up to number five. So that's why it's big. As far as quality of opponent, eh. And, and I think that the national narrative about Notre Dame is starting to be, oh, they're not that great, and they are really struggling on offense. And they turn the ball over, and they give up a ton of sacks. And and, and, the, and the other thing is, so this game's on the ACC network. It's not like anybody's going to be watching it. If you have Comcast, yes. you're certainly not going to be. You know, so so that that game, I don't know, half a million people are going to watch that game maybe? Maybe a million tops? Does the ACC network release their numbers? Uh, no, you're never going to. Unless it's some huge number, in which case ESPN will tell you about right. the highest rated game ever on the, on ACC, the ACC network. network. Right. right. You may hear that. And I do get the PR emails from ESPN where they brag about their ratings. Yeah. But it's always where they're telling you some Big Ten team or SEC team or some combination has gotten between four and eight million viewers for a show. They, they love to brag about that <laughs> stuff, but they're unlikely to brag about an ACC network game that gets maybe a million viewers. Well, and just looking at these next two matchups, it seems like Notre Dame is just a much better matchup for Virginia Tech and not a high-powered offense. I agree with that. Now, I also don't think Pitt will roll into Lane Stadium and score 40-some points like they've been doing to everybody yes. else. Texas has a much better defense than the teams they've faced so far. The The biggest problem, challenge, one of the biggest challenges with Pitt is that you, you really have to stay disciplined. Kenny Pickett's really good about breaking the pocket and keeping his eyes yeah. downfield and throwing darts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's the biggest challenge that they face. So yeah. but Tech's got some good cover corners, so we'll see. Yeah. Well these are gonna be two big games for Virginia Tech, back to back weekends in Lane Stadium. We're gonna have a full Notre Dame preview on Wednesday on the podcast and then next week, obviously Pit Week. Before we get into YouTube questions Quickly, I want to hit on the two soccer programs for Virginia Tech because we haven't given them, uh, we haven't talked about them at all this season, but both of them are quietly making a run. Men's soccer ranked 11th in the country this week, uh, this week women's soccer 19th in the country. Uh, men's soccer earlier this season beating the number one team in the country, defending national champions Marshall. Women's soccer ties against Duke and UNC, both wins they, games they could have won. So, uh, Maybe a possible a possible run in the postseason for both of these programs uh, in 2021. And the men's team beat UVA, too. They did. Um, they haven't lost since September 11th. I think uh, it's interesting that y you look at the men's program and see that they lost the number one pick in the MLS Super Draft yes. this past winter. And they're still able to be a, you know, probably – but they'll be top ten, top again 10 at some point. This, you know, certainly in the RPI, I'm sure. I believe after 10. beating Marshall, they might have been top five. Yeah, yeah. Um, so th I think that just shows the how that the program itself is really strong. This yes. program has depth. 
and it's been built up over time. Their facilities are good. I, I mean, I've it's it's fun to go to a game and 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 Thompson. Crowds Field, are but, big. Yeah, the crowds are big. Uh, the, the the setting is really nice. I think uh, Mac, uh, McComas yeah. is the background, yes. and then the sun sets over McComas. It's it's really beautiful, and uh, so I, I think they have a lot going for for both their programs right now. Um, so yeah, they both look like you know NCAA tournament teams for sure. And you know you never know. You get the right matchups, you can make a run. Well, so you, so for those, sorry to interrupt, but but people that don't follow soccer, um, and I don't follow it closely, so this uh, this would have been my thought. Oh, yeah, but if I pull up Tex 11th, but if I pull up the rankings, I'll see five ACC teams ahead of them. <laughs> That's not accurate. So um, looking at the rankings, Duke is ranked fourth. Marshall's still fifth, by the way, even with the loss to Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech is the second highest ranked ACC team wow. at 11th. Um, and continuing to scroll down, you see Louisville 14, Pitt 16. But if you looked at the RPI – then you'd see five ACC teams. Yes, yeah. because um, those strength of schedules that they play yeah. are just ridiculous every yeah. single year. So I know it's a ranking thing versus an actual quality of team yeah. thing. Right. Well, my, Mike Brizendine has just done a great job with that program. I mean, you look at – you mentioned Danny Pereira, number one overall pick in the Super Draft. Christo Strickler, another draft pick. Yeah, both oh, of those right. guys. There were, there were two draft picks all they, last year. They both team. leave, the and this team is round. still a top ten team, beating yeah. the number one team in the country – he yeah. has a lot of depth coming in over and yeah. over. Yeah, there's certainly like the the the, the program c- itself gets stronger on a year year by year basis. Uh, yeah. I think uh, it's it's such a shame that like because of COVID, it was it's almost like Pereira wasn't even here. It's true. It would have been like if COVID had hit during the Michael Vick era, the Khalil Herbert effect. Right, right. <laughs> Did he really play for Tech? Right. I saw him no, on television. I think I saw him on television one time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but if, imagine if like COVID had hit with Michael Vick and. He would have played here for like one year or something like that, and then declared for the draft. And you're like, "Oh, that was fun. We barely get you got to know you." Or you could, well, you could do it with Caleb Farley. Like Virginia, yeah. Tech, you got the real Caleb Farley for, for ten one. games yeah. at Virginia Tech, yeah. and that's it. So, so the Michael Vick thing, you know, I don't know if your average Tech fan thinks about this sort of thing, but he was a thing here for 16 months. That yeah, was it. That's it. Yeah, he played against JMU, and then 16 months later, he declared for the draft and was gone. And and the 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 ripple effects <laughs> 20 years later, 20, 21, 22 years later. But he was here. He was a thing for 16 months. That was it. And, and Danny Pereira, again, maybe one of the most talented athletes to come through Virginia Tech in the last couple of decades. But yeah. it almost seemed like it snuck up on people that he was the number one overall pick. It was like, oh, he was he was on the team. Oh, we had somebody that good. <laughs> well, looking at the women's program, they've got a pretty talented player as well. Emily Gray, she has nine goals this season. And the Not woman already, she's normally assist. Didn't she lead the country in assist? She she led the I want to say she led the conference in assist. Conference, I'm not okay. sure about the country, but she has nine goals, four assists. And the women's soccer team went over a ranked South Carolina team, beat NC State at home, and then ties against UNC and Duke. But against UNC, they led two to nothing with eight minutes left in the game, yeah. and <laughs> Carolina scored two late goals. But that's a team that. They continue to play good competition and at least hold their own. Well, yeah, they, they show they can go toe to toe with anybody on a week to week basis, um, and that's another program that's grown steadily through the years. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for for programs like that, like you know, your you, your schedule is going to be difficult all the way through, and then you're going to get to the NCAA tournament, and it's going to be about matchups and and luck. To be honest with you, that that's kind of you know, there's always a luck factor. Yeah. To 
to soccer. You can you can go out there and completely dominate a game, possession, shots, everything. And lose one to nothing. Right, exactly. That's, oh, that's I, the I remember when the sport. women made the Final Four. Do you remember how long ago that was? Oh, I don't remember how long ago it was. Five uh, or six years ago, maybe. Six, seven, I, maybe. I uh, believe they played Florida they State. They did. They played they, Florida they State. They lost to Florida State. And Tech, Tech hit the crossbar? Well, they, they hit the crossbar twice, I think. Florida State also hit the crossbar once, and theirs kind of glanced down and went in. And went in. And exactly. ours bounced off and went And up. that is And soccer. that was the difference in Virginia Tech playing for a national championship. Yeah. So, do, doing the whole ranking thing, it, it is that way over on the women's <laughs> side. <laughs> Florida State's number one in the country. They are 10-0. and 0. And they're getting 33 out of 34 votes to be number one. So it goes Florida State number one, Virginia number two, Duke number four, North Carolina number five. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so that's that's what you're looking at over on the women's side. Well, women's soccer on the road this weekend. Matchups with Clemson and Wake Forest. Next home game is October 15th, right before the pit game against number one Florida State. So yeah, if you're in town for the pit game. Is that, that the night before? It is the night before, so that would be a good one to go to. And then this Friday, men's soccer against number 14 Louisville. So top 15 matchup at Thompson Field this weekend as well. Uh, of course, the Braves are in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, Very cool. So both soccer programs playing – I'm saying that would be a perfect one to go to. It would be. But. Yeah. Louisville good as well, and, and men's soccer, again, has not lost since September 11th, so almost a oh, month. Wow. So the well, men, they do. So the men are playing uh, Friday night? Friday night <clears throat> against number 14 Louisville at Thompson Field. And then the women are the following Friday so, night? Yes. Women on the road, Clemson and Wake Forest on Friday and Sunday this weekend, and then their next home game is next Friday, October 15th, number one Florida State comes to Blacksburg. So so how do they how do they do getting into the soccer game? Is it free? I mean yeah. Yeah. it's free for students, I believe. No, it's free for it's everybody. Free for everybody. It's free for everybody. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, what happens if be. too many people show it up? It should not be. Look, if I had to pay to get in to watch my high school baseball team in high school, <laughs> then it should cost five dollars to get into a Virginia Tech soccer game. That's a high quality product. It costs a lot of money to maintain, quite frankly. Yes. Yes. So well if you hype up, you know, Friday night before Notre Dame, come see the the men play number fourteen Louisville and then Next weekend before the Pittsburgh game, come see the women play number one Florida State. Um, if you push that and too many people show up, maybe the reaction to the athletic department will be to issue tickets, charge, and start controlling attendance. Well, and it does seem like the crowd has been bigger this year. People just wanting to watch live sports after COVID. And the UVA yeah. crowd was very impressed. Yes. And they, yeah. and they don't, when they fill up the stands completely, they fill around Macomas also outside mm -hmm. the fence. You see people standing outside the fence. That's yeah. right. Because That's the, the winning goal against was that Virginia, I think yeah. it was late in the second yes. overtime. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. The camera angle they had showing the ball going into the goal and there were people behind the fence and they started Freaking out and climbing the fence and running onto the field. Well, that was very soccer cool. crowds will only increase at Virginia Tech through time because of the international yeah. nature of the sport and Virginia Tech being more international. Yeah, I was talking to this kid the other night, and he's a Korean kid, and he lives in he's lived in America for like eight years. His favorite team is Tottenham because the best Korean, the best Asian player in general, plays for Tottenham. Yeah. You know, so this is a guy who's at Virginia Tech, loves soccer, cares nothing about football. He's just more likely to go to a soccer game than anything else. And yeah. I'm not saying soccer is going to surpass football at Virginia Tech or anything <laughs> like that. But it is a sport with maybe the most growth potential at Virginia Tech. Well, and especially you mentioned the luck factor of the soccer, uh, of just playing soccer, that maybe one of these teams is the closest to getting to that first team national championship. Uh, yes. Well, well, the, well, I would probably agree with that. Marshall won it last year. Yes. And, I'm, and, I'm, and Marshall's good. Marshall's good. But you have to be good and, and have the luck factor. You have to be good year after year. 
Yes. And, and, and a few of those years, you'll eventually have to, get a few bounces correct. going your way. Yeah. Well, the, the narrative that soccer is a gross sport has been around for at least 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. but I am, I'm actually seeing the attendance now. Right. You know, when I see, when I see the games on television, I see the highlights you do see. Well, it's stadium. always, it's always been a growth sport in certain parts of the country. It just hasn't been at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Okay. Or in this area of the country, per se. Mm-hmm. Well, the crowds have been good, and you've always got the uh, the shirtless men in the front row as well uh, cheering on both the women's games. Why do you say that? Are you one of them? <laughs> no. I, so I called the uh, the NC State Tech women's game two weeks ago, and uh, NC State's head coach in our, our call, he specifically pointed them out. He said that we scheduled a scrimmage against West Virginia in the preseason just to get ready for Blacksburg because it's a rowdy environment and you've got the really? shirtless guys in the front row. Man, so I gotta go. They heckle they hard, hard West Virginia and Virginia Tech cut from the clay, same cloth, right. right? That's how they prepare for Blacksburg by, <laughs> by going West to West Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> well, no, no. Virginia, they, God, they their played, Virginia Tech fans cringing. They played West Virginia <laughs> at Thompson Field. So they oh. scrimmaged at Thompson oh, Field oh, 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 oh. in August. Okay. So that that was what they – he wanted to get them accustomed to playing at Thompson Field okay. and, and all of that. Okay. So, okay. All right. Well, I think it's a good time to get into our YouTube questions. Nick, any good ones in the chat today? Yeah. Uh, first, a stat by Mr. Scott Glessner. He had a big one last week as well. Uh, the weird stat of the day from Mr. Glessner is Virginia Tech's opening drives. Football has ended in a score. Virginia Tech is 16-6, and 9-4 and four if it's a touchdown. But if they turn it over on that opening drive, they are six and one and have won the last six games. <laughs> uh, and there's no football coach ever made who would say, you know what? It's better to turn yeah, the ball over. Let's go out the game. there, throw an interception. Yeah. We just have Braxton do an arm punch on the first play of the game. So if he, so if we fumble or throw a pick on the first drive. I'll remember that. Yes. You'll see one guy in section 33 going, yeah, we're going to win now. <laughs> Make it seven in a row. That's a good one. Anyways, uh, best question I found today, Benjamin, I hope I'm saying this last name right, Agner, uh, regardless of whether uh, Fuente stays, uh, significant changes will be needed. Um, Recruiting-wise, what would a Mike Jones hire be like for Virginia Tech? Oh, boy. it's Well, well Lauren it's, Johnson. Uh, well, not even that. Um, football and basketball recruiting is apples and, and oranges. There's really only one or two. DeMatha is a national level. Like yeah. ba- basket, These basketball players move around so much nationally, yeah. even in high school, that you can't really compare. IMG. Yeah, yeah. Um, football, you've really just got – you got IMG Academy, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Maybe Bishop Gorman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just so – some of the Westerns, like De La Salle, yeah. places um, like that, but they're way out. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think there is an equivalent. Um, because DeMatha gets basketball players. Yes, a lot of them are from the Mid-Atlantic region, but not they're not necessarily exclusive to that. Yeah. Um, and it's not like Lauren Johnson at Highland Springs. It's not like he's getting – all the seven five seven players and a bunch of Northern Virginia players and all the top players from Richmond and just putting them together in this yeah. one super school. What's a regular school? Yeah, it's a regular public school. So I don't honestly don't think there is an equivalent. Like Probably. he would he would maybe be the most equivalent, but but at this point, what you would where's he going to coach? I mean, you're going to fire Ryan Smith to put him on the yeah. staff. I mean, if you hire Lauren Johnson, he's the DB's coach. I heard I'm Bishop not, Sycamore's coach. Looking for um, <laughs> probably the only analog I can think of is is Mike Smith at Hampton back in the '90s. A lot of players were transferring into Hampton, but that was from that actual seven five seven area. It wasn't like it was the entire. It wasn't state. a national level school, yeah. right? 
That's that's really the only that's the only good one. one yeah. All right, all right, perfect. We're we're running a little bit long today, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. think that'll do it for episode one ninety six of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It is Notre Dame week, though, and we're gonna have a full Notre Dame preview on Wednesday on the podcast. And mm-hmm. what's coming up on TechSideline.com, Chris? Oh, uh, I've got Brandon Patterson. Well, he's already written it, uh, and I'll edit it and post it this afternoon. But an article on, you know, we've talked about how like Brock Hoffman and Luke Tenuta have struggled despite having beat so much experience on the offensive line. So he's written a, a little bit of an article about that, about the offensive line play, and I'll have that posted uh, later today. So that's 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 number one. And then after that, it'll basically be a regular game week. Great. We got preview and, coming up Wednesday, yep, I assume. Yep. Yeah, and sorry to disappoint folks, but I think I'm going to skip Monday thoughts today because I haven't spent one minute thinking about Because he has no thoughts. <laughs> I have no thoughts today. I, I could sit here and talk about the same stuff we just talked about. Uh, see, I figured you wouldn't write one, and that's why I scheduled Brandon for today. Sweet. Perfect. I love it when a plan comes together. Plenty of good content on techsideline.com. And again, want to mention student memberships are free right now. Yes. So yeah. if you are a student at Virginia Tech watching, make sure you jump on that. Get all this great content from the guys here on set, and as well as David Cunningham, who is at the Justin Fuente press conference. We're going right double now. today because right after mm-hmm. Justin Fuente mm-hmm. is basketball. Mike Young and three basketball wow. players. Yeah. yeah, so that's also what's coming up on Tech's Island this week is uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff coming out of those two press conferences. Yeah, basketball content coming up again November 9th, a little over a month away. And basketball media, game. ACC media day for basketball is tomorrow. Wow. So busy, busy yes. week. And yes. we are, we are and, sending David to And David's to that. going. Unfortunately, Virginia Tech has also scheduled their football players to be interviewed tomorrow while David's going to be in. Oh, really? I thought, yeah. they, were, I thought they were going to. Oh, no. Remember, we talked about that last week. We didn't know whether it was going to be Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Or well, Wednesday. guess what? It turned out to be Tuesday. Well, we may have to figure out somebody to send. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Looking around the Someone's room. Someone's in attendance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that will do it for episode 196 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We looked at the Rodney Rice commitment to Virginia Tech basketball. We also checked on the ACC football landscape, where the Atlantic and Coastal stand, and who is in the driver's seat for that ACC championship in December. Looked at the men's and women's soccer team and how well they've been doing early on. And we'll have a full Notre Dame preview on Wednesday on the Tech Sideline podcast. Want to thank everybody on set. Will Stewart, across the way, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, the lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He is at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Malcolm Stewart always does a great job behind the scenes. And Nick Brown, some great comments. Good trivia again in the fourth chair today. Want to thank him as well. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host. Want to wish you a great start to the week, Hokies fans. We'll see you later on.